All rise. All rise. The Honorable Chief Justice and, and Associate, Associate Justices, Justices of the Supreme Court. Court of the State of North Carolina. Yes, oh yes, oh yes. The Supreme Court of North Carolina. All of our citizens across the state depend upon us to uphold and protect both the spirit and the letter of the law and to always apply the law fairly and impartially to every litigant who comes before this court. God save the state and this honorable court. Welcome to All Things Judicial, a podcast of the North Carolina Judicial Branch. I'm Chris Mears with the Judicial Branch Communications Office. In this episode, we will hear an interview with former Chief Justice Rhoda Billings. This 2016 interview is part of the Chief Justice's Commission on Professionalism's historical video series and was conducted by former president of the North Carolina Bar Association, John R. Buddy Wester. Stay with us as we keep all things judicial. Good morning, Rhoda Billings. Good morning, Buddy Wester. Uh, it's good to be with you today. I was uh, reviewing uh, your uh, resume. It seems like it should be called something other than that, but that's uh, uh, what I did, and I'm struck by the uh, scope of the things you've taken on and the excellence of it all. Uh, there are just not many folks who can lay claim to being first in the law school class, and I think in your case at age 14, <laughs> um, and then uh, in the judiciary, uh, both the trial bench and the district court where the face of justice of our citizens meet the face of justice more often than any other court. Then the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court serving as the Justice of the Supreme Court. Uh, your career in private practice uh, and then teaching at Wake Forest Law School for so long. Uh, the first person in history to be president of the North Carolina Bar Association and Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. That might not repeat. Um, I've mentioned those few elements, but without uh, turning aside from being the mother of fine children and the devoted wife, uh, putting aside those family uh, features of your record, what what has been um, what has been the part of that that you think holds it together? What what has been uh, the the fundamental of it uh, for you? That's a very hard question, but I've had tremendous opportunities, and they have, they're things that have come to me from other people. I don't, I'm not a person who seeks out position or opportunities, but for some reason, uh, and I guess it started with graduating from Wake Forest Law School and knowing some really great people, but it just seemed that, and, and part of it, I think, started with being elected a district court judge as 
as the district court system was created and therefore one of the first uh, in the district court system, uh, combined with the fact that I was a woman. I, there's no question that being a woman has been a real asset to my career, um, but it gave me some degree of visibility. And for some reason, that visibility has continued throughout my life that people do ask me to do things. And uh, that's a tremendous asset because I'm not one to sort of self-start. But I do hope that when I am asked to do a job, I do it adequately. <laughs> I mentioned a few moments ago your service on both the trial court, uh, the district court, uh, a position for which you ran, am I correct? Correct. And you served on our Supreme Court and you were in a statewide judicial race yes. for that, were you not? Right. Looking back on that and reflecting on the fact that we just concluded um, a statewide election that had six candidates running statewide, share with us your re recollections and your sense of of where we are in North Carolina in 2017. Well, in 2017, we were probably about the same place we were in 1968 when I first ran, and that is that <clears throat> running for a judicial office does two things. One is it's impossible to get any attention because a justice is not supposed to and should never prejudge issues. Those are things to be determined after legal arguments, study, and discussion and collaboration with the other members of the court. And so running for a judicial office is an extremely frustrating thing. Uh, you remember, can say that with a smile. That's a well, good I sign. remember being at a, an event and a woman coming up to me when I was running for, for Chief Justice and said, well, what's your position on abortion? Well, obviously, I responded in the traditional way that I can't take a position on that. That's something that if it comes before me, then I will have to evaluate and consider on, in every possible way to make the judgment <clears throat> that the law requires. Of course, the person sneers, turns around, and walks away. I haven't given. And the point of this is that it is not a political position. And so one of the things that we've seen over the past several decades is that the public perceives it as political, and as a result, it has become political. And the other thing, of course, is that without being able to persuade people because of your positions on issues, uh, the public really doesn't have an, an interest in this race, that is the race for judicial positions, and, and pays very little attention to them, and therefore has no idea for whom they should vote. Well, all of your lawyer friends, of course, will tell you that and their friends, who are not lawyers, always come to them to ask them, for whom should I vote? The vast majority of people don't have those relationships, and so either don't vote, very large percentage don't vote, or 
vote on some basis other than knowledge of the qualities of the candidates. And of course, we saw in this election that some of the results were simply not explainable on the basis of uh, knowing the qualities of the people. person listed first in each statewide race of the, the six races. Was listed first what? in those statewide races, yes. Do you uh, have a, a dream <laughs> that as, as you uh, have the opportunity to speak with colleagues and people who are in government, uh, that North Carolina might um, make the change that you speak of here to uh, doing it another way? I've only worked on an effort for that result uh, probably about 40 years. <laughs> Uh, of course, the North Carolina Bar Association has had that as one of its uh, major interests uh, for a long time. And, uh, and when I worked, worked with uh, the Medlin Commission, uh, the commission that the last time before what's going on now with Chief Justice Martin's commission, <clears throat> the Medlin Commission appointed by Chief Justice Exum uh, looked at question of judicial selection they made a recommendation or we made a recommendation for a form of judicial appointment um, that has continued to be an effort and uh, has been strongly recommended to Chief Justice Martin's commission and we'll see if they uh, come out also in support of some form of judicial selection other than partisan election or election, whether partisan or nonpartisan. Do you have confidence it could be done? That is, there is a better way uh, uh, to choose judges than the public, uninformed as you described, going to the polls with judge for candidates who can't say where they stand. Uh, and and you, you do believe there's a better way? I do believe there's a better way. I believe it's possible to achieve it. I believe that a different way will help to remove from the perception of the public that judges base their decisions on political positions. Yeah. In the cases you presided over involving domestic relations and uh, assault and battery. In the district and, court you're talking In the district about. courts. Uh, were you able to discern which was the Republican or the Democratic position? <laughs> no, there was not one. And likewise, uh, in the Supreme Court, except for districting cases, you know, and things that have quintessentially a political uh, interest, very little comes there that has a Democratic or Republican position to it. Exactly. Uh, and people, when they think of politics in the judiciary, are influenced a great deal by their perception of the politicization of United States Supreme Court. You don't see that in our local, in our North Carolina Supreme Court. There simply is not a partisan uh, divide on our North Carolina Supreme Court. I see. Madam Chief Justice, um, in addition to the, your service in the, uh, on the bench and in private practice, a large portion of your career you devoted to academics, to teaching in law school. Um, as you look on that time, and there will be many here in the audience whom you have taught, 
Um, as, as you look on that time and you uh, evaluate where we are today in legal education, um, how do you feel about it, uh, the good and the bad? There's, there's a lot of good going on. Um, when I taught, when I started teaching, I taught like I had been taught, and that was with the Socratic method. Um, I do get constant comments from former students about the fact that every time they are in my presence, they feel like they need to stand to talk because I was one of the ones that stayed with that method much longer perhaps than it was useful, but I found it effective. But the education has now moved to much more of experiential learning, which uh, seems to be a good thing. That is, students learn by doing more than just by attending a class and responding to questions about cases they have read from a case book. I think it, it requires a combination, but uh, I'm on the uh, Board of Advisors for Elon Law School and have been very interested in seeing what they've done in changing uh, first to uh, experiential learning to a greater degree, to professionalism training in a greater degree, and to uh, putting their students into, uh, well, excuse me, and the third point is making the law school a two and a half year expense. Uh, had an interesting comment from Dean Reynolds of Wake Forest about how much more they are doing experiential learning. And that when she talked with some of the people who had employed recent graduates of the law school, her comment that uh, they were saying it seemed more like the people they were hiring were lateral hires rather than introduction, introductory uh, hires by recent graduates, which says volumes about how much students are learning about the practice mm -hmm. in law school. Now the downside, you said the good and the bad. Well, perhaps I should rephrase the good and the not as good. The not as good is the number of students who are going to law school, but without a great deal of confidence that they will be able to succeed, spending a lot of money because of the number of law schools and the number of students that are entering law school who really, in some law schools, do not have a realistic chance of becoming lawyers and earning a living. You uh, see a solution for that? Well, we just need, in some instances, fewer law schools. Uh, and Is there a gatekeeper? It's been, of course, the American Bar Association has always sort of been a gatekeeper by their accreditation process. But they have seemed to accredit schools uh, sometimes that uh, perhaps should not have been. Apparently they have now decided that bar exam pass rates are going to be taken as a significant indicator of the quality of the law school. And uh, to put on probation or to remove accreditation if there are schools uh, that traditionally, chronically, 
uh, do not prepare their students well enough for them to be successful on the bar exam. We are listening to an interview with former Chief Justice Rhoda Billings, conducted by former president of the North Carolina Bar Association, John R. Buddy Wester. This interview is part of CJCP's historical video series and was conducted in 2016. I think it's in uh, uh, one of the fine uh, songs in The Sound of Muted. Uh, let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. Uh, what, uh, what event or series of events, what thoughts uh, came into your mind as, as you moved toward the idea, I'm going to become a lawyer? Um, I doubt you foresaw uh, maybe you did, uh, the Chief Justiceship and uh, storied career as a professor, president of the North Carolina Bar Association, uh, first person in history uh, to have the Chief Justice and the Bar Association position. Um, but you, um, you've done all these things. What was, how did it go at the beginning? Well, you're right that I never foresaw the career that I have had. Um, I grew up in Wilkes County, North Carolina. Uh, my father was a small-time lawyer, uh, did just about everything. Uh, I never saw him practice, never saw him in court. But growing up in a household with a parent as a lawyer, obviously it's one of the things you think about. Did he encourage you and he, say, I, I think, think you ought to be a lawyer? I don't think he ever considered it <laughs> because I never expressed it at home. It was just one of those things. But in high school, as I, you know, you start thinking about, well, what am I going to do after I get out of here? Um, it was about the time that Susie Sharp was quite prominent in North Carolina because of her role as a woman superior court judge and eventually as chief justice of the Supreme Court. So it was, I was, came along at a time that it was not something that was unheard of. I never considered myself to be, as she was, a real pioneer, but given that there had been sort of a pioneer before, it was something to consider. Went to Berea College in Kentucky, graduated a semester early and went to work in Washington, D.C. as an accounting clerk in the court up there. <laughs> Don Billings, whom I knew from high school, he was several years ahead of, not several, three years ahead of me, and I had dated him a time or two. He was in Washington, and we sort of reconnected. And both of us were looking for our career paths, mine having just graduated from college and uh, looking for something to do in that semester before maybe I entered into a graduate program or whatever, and he was getting out of the Navy. We decided that we wanted to get married, and we talked extensively about where to live and what to do, and made a mutual decision that we would both go to law school. So 
since he was three years older, he got to go first. <laughs> I uh, gave birth to a couple of kids and then went to law school when he graduated and set up his practice in Winston-Salem. So there was no seminal event, no, uh, no uh, moment I found it. Uh, uh, it was a progression. It was a progression. progression, yes. And, uh, did you tell your father? Do you remember the time when you told your father, I'm going to go to law school? I don't remember the time I, yeah. I said that. Uh, I do remember just his tremendous pride in my being Chief Justice of the North Carolina Supreme Court and yes. thought that everybody in the state should recognize me immediately if I sure. came into their presence. Yes, We've spoken of the lack of a seminal moment in your deciding to become a lawyer. Um, as you went through the legal, legal education and your career, uh, do, you, do you have mentors in mind? Of course, I went to the Wake Forest Law School at the time that probably some of the most renowned professors that ever taught there were there. Uh, Dean Carol Weathers was Dean. And if you talk about professionalism, uh, there's no greater um, paragon of professionalism than Carol Weathers was, and he did his best to instill his view of what a lawyer should be in the students at Wake Forest. Did he interview you before your admission? Oh, he absolutely interviewed yeah. me. He interviewed everybody who was admitted to law school at that time. Gave new meaning to the term cross-examination? <laughs> I'm not sure that I felt it was a cross-examination, but it was, uh, it was a, a very in-depth interview. Right. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Don went to law school before I did, and he went to Duke. And Don would come home talking about what he had experienced at law school. And of course, I sort of went through law school with him, which gave me a great leg up on understanding legal principles, even in taking the, the uh, LSAT. Um, there were, at the law school, I've mentioned Carol Weathers, but uh, Professor Sizemore, Professor Wiggins, uh, they were just incredibly good professors. And of course, Dr. Lee was legendary. <laughs> and then as I started my career, not only had Don given me this sort of leg up by going to law school before and sharing with me as he, is, he loves to share, uh, he has been my number one mentor and my number one supporter. I've often said he had a lot more faith in me than I had in myself. And except for that, uh, I wouldn't have been able to do some of the things that I've been able to do. Well, Rhoda Billings, um, the, uh, I think our time is accomplished. Uh, uh, I thank you very much for your uh, time and thoughtfulness. Uh, it's highly characteristic of you to dig deeper than any of the questions with your answers. Um, I will say as one grateful lawyer to, um, I'm grateful to have been at the bar while you've been a leader uh, in so many ways. Um, when you won the John J. Parker Award, the highest award the Bar Association gives, uh, I'm familiar with uh, a nomination of you. And it said, um, that nomination said that you would 
uh, burnish the image of the John J. Parker Award. You have done exactly that and for a full career. Uh, I know I stand in a long line of lawyers who are most grateful for your leadership and across such a wide spectrum and for living the highest ideals of professionalism. All of us here, I know, join in our expression of pride in knowing you and all that you have stood for. Thank you very much. Oh, Betty Wester, I want to thank you, not only for this extraordinarily kind words, but for your willingness both to do this interview and to present me with the John J. Parker Award and for all that you have done as well within the profession. Thank you. You've been listening to All Things Judicial, a podcast from the North Carolina Judicial Branch. You can find out more about the Chief Justice's Commission on Professionalism by visiting nccourts.gov backslash podcast. If you like our podcast, please share it with a friend and give us a five-star rating and review. Your help is essential in spreading the word about the positive work of the Judicial Branch. I'm Chris Mears with the Judicial Branch Communications Office, and I'm reminding you to keep all things judicial. Thanks for listening.